0: my friends, welcome to week 11 of season five of "Be Formed: uh, Holy Matrimony and the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the gift of our vocation. We thank you for the beautiful gift of holy matrimony, where the two become one flesh, and the love of a spouse, a husband to his wife is like, seeing Christ love the Church. We ask you to bless all marriages in a special way today, especially those that are struggling. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So last week we looked at the sacrament of the anointing of the sick and the Church Fathers, and today, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about marriage, holy matrimony, and the catechism of the Catholic Church. I think you'll find this information very relevant, uh, because marriage is under attack, for sure, in our culture. At the end of the video, I'm going to share uh, some details about Season 6 that are coming up, so please stay tuned. So the last two sacraments that we're going to talk about are Holy Matrimony and Holy Orders. These can be categorized as the the sacraments of commitment, the sacraments of vocation, or the sacraments of service. I've also heard them. I'm going to be discussing paragraphs 1601 to 1666. Uh, I'm not going to be able to cover them all. There's a lot of material here, but I encourage you uh, over this week, if you have a chance, to look at your catechism and look at those uh, paragraphs. The first paragraph on marriage says this: The matrimonial covenant is by its nature ordered toward the end of the spouses, toward I'm sorry, toward the good of the spouses, and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant of baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. So it's a covenant. It's more than a contract, which is an exchange of goods and services, but it's two people uh, willing to uh, give their lives for one another. The end goal, the order is for the good of the spouses. The ultimate good, of course, is heaven, and it's also ordered toward the procreation and the education of the offspring especially teaching our kids about God and heaven. And just reviewing the definition of a sacrament, it's an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. So the outward sign here are two people who uh, give their consent to love one another for the rest of their lives. Um, It's instituted by Christ. We'll talk about where. And to give grace, uh, we're going to talk about the the graces of, of holy matrimony. This goes back to Genesis where he made them male and female and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. So in Matthew 19, 4-6, this will be your Lexio Divina for this week, it says this, and I encourage you to pray with this throughout the week. Jesus says, so this is Jesus speaking, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh, he says. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. So what God joins together, no human being must separate. This is where he speaks about the sacramentality of marriage, that he wants to give us grace in this sacrament so that it's a reflection for the world, how Christ loved the church, and what God joins, no human being can separate. The U.S. bishops in their letter, Marriage, Love, and Life, in the Divine Plan. The church has some beautiful documents out there. This is one on marriage. It says this. Marriage is a lifelong partnership, so it's forever, uh, of the whole of life, of mutual and exclusive fidelity. It's faithful and exclusive. It, uh, it rules out polygamy. It's established by mutual consent between a man and a woman. So uh, the church teaches... Marriage is only between a man and a woman, and consent makes the marriage. We'll talk more about that. And it's ordered toward the good of the spouses, heaven, and the procreation of offspring. So it's ordered toward family life. And marriage is so important because this is the foundation of society. It's good for the individuals in the marriage. It's good for the children. A healthy society has healthy marriages. And um, a marriage, uh, a society where marriages are struggling uh, is a struggling society. So our fundamental vocation is to love. And every vocation is a call to love. Like, for example, my call as a priest is to lay down my life as a spouse of the church. And who's the church? It's all of you in the church. And so I'm called to lay down my life in love for the church. Married people are called to love a specific person and lay down their lives for one another. Consecrated men and women are called to lay down their lives for, for men, for, the, it's for uh, the bride, the church, and for women to lay down their lives for Christ. And the same for single people. They're called to lay down their lives. It's not to be live these wild bachelor and bachelorette lives. Men and, w- men and women were created for one another. We can see it in our body. If you talk the theology of the body, you can see the complementarity of, uh, of the flesh. It's also uh, an equal partnership. It's, this is not for men to dominate women, uh, but the woman is to be the helpmate. They're to, they're to lay down their lives for one another. We hear that, uh, you know, men love your wives as Christ loved the church in Ephesians 5. And so when, when Jesus says the two shall become one flesh, uh, this means that it's it's unbreakable. What God joins, man must not put asunder. However, we know that there's sin. So we have good news. We're created in the image and likeness of God. We see how God created us, man and woman. But we also see how sin damages our lives. Sin causes confusion, uh, especially in marriage. There's a spirit of dominance domination, of infidelity, jealousy, conflicts, hatred. We see it from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. You know, they were created in this Garden of Eden. They were created perfect, but through original sin, their original communion uh, to a relationship uh, with God was then moved toward uh, a relationship of domination and of lust. So God still has created us in his image and likeness like Adam and Eve, but well, we need grace. We need reconciliation. We need God's help to make marriage work. And so what is grace? It's, it's God's free help on this journey of marriage. Um, and, and there is a powerful grace given in the sacrament of holy matrimony to help couples get through the difficult times. Let's look at the Old Testament. Um, Moses, you know, when it was asked for... The ability to divorce. And he says, this isn't how it was created, because, but because of your hardness of hearts, go ahead. He, he knew that man would do what he wanted to do in, through the fall. And so from the very beginning, this was meant to be an unbreakable union. But because of sin, because of the fall, uh, we have divorce. Um, but marriage, if, you, if we look at marriage, lived in the, the best way possible. It works against, the catechism says, self-absorption focusing on myself, egoism, and the pursuit of one's own pleasure. If I know that I'm called to live for someone else, it gets me out of myself. So from the beginning, in the Old Testament, we see how marriage was designed. And then Jesus, he came with the new and everlasting covenant. And he talks about the marriage feast, which is the Eucharist, how God wants to become with one with us in the Eucharist. That's why they can they can say, You know, that canopy over the altar um, is meant to be a sign of respect uh, over the Eucharist. It also can be an image of the marriage bed where God, in the deepest intimacy possible, becomes one with us in Holy Communion. And so he shows us the image of what marriage could and should look like. Jesus himself takes on our flesh and gives himself totally to the bride, the church, and he literally died for her, died for us. This is how we men are called to love our bride. And if we look at Cana, this is where Jesus gave the first sign of His covenant through Mary. Mary said, "They have no wine," and by Jesus's presence at Cana at a wedding feast and performing His first miracle, it shows the importance of uh, of marriage, Christ's presence there, and Jesus affirms the in the solubility of marriage, meaning. It can't be broken. What God has joined, men must not put asunder. Now, some people can say, well, this seems impossible. Marriage is so hard, and and it is difficult, but with God, all things are possible. It's by following Christ, the catechism says, renouncing ourselves and taking up our crosses that we'll be able to live marriage with the help of God. The Catechism goes on to talk about virginity and say, why would it talk about virginity with with marriage? Well, it's it's a vocation. And so this call to virginity, where Christ is the center of our lives, you know, as a, as a celibate man. So the bond with God should proceed in any vocation, any other bond with, with human beings. And in Matthew 19, verse 12, it says, some people have renounced the great good of marriage for... The kingdom of God, to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And so both marriage and uh, virginity, celibacy are great things and we need both. A life of celibacy says that God can be my all in all here in this life and it makes people think wow, that's what heaven is going to be like. Where Jesus says there is no more marriage in heaven um, but that's where love is, is ultimate, where God is our all in all. And so a question for us to ponder is, how is God calling me to love? Is he calling me to love a specific person? Is he calling me to love the church? Is he calling me to love as a single or consecrated person? How is marriage celebrated? In the Latin rite, you know who the, the minister of holy matrimony or the ministers are the couple getting married. So we say the consent makes the marriage. When a couple says, I take you to be my wife, I take you to be my husband, when that is done validly before a witness of the church, that is when marriage happens. In the Eastern churches, um, validity of the sacrament depends on the blessing of the priest or bishop. It's so a little difference between the Latin rite and, and Eastern churches. So, what's needed for a valid marriage? A baptized man and a woman. So, we believe just a marriage between a man and a woman. So, that's why we... We ask for baptismal certificates. You have to be free to contract marriage. So uh, we do a prenuptial questionnaire, ask if you've been married before. We get witnesses saying that you're free to marry. And you freely express your consent that no one is forcing you, that there are no impediments. This could be a whole... I had a whole class on marriage, so I'm trying to do this in 20 or 25 minutes. So just bear with me. What are the impediments to marriage that you need a dispensation from the church? This doesn't mean necessarily you can't get married some of these can be dispensed from for example age um, are is the couple old enough and in the I believe the last canon law said a man must be 16 the woman must be 14 but I think those ages have gone up impotence if if you're not able to consummate the marriage um, that is an impediment to marriage if you have a previous marriage bond you know and and we'll talk more about divorce and annulments and a little bit. When somebody's married before the church, uh, there has to be a nullity of marriage for someone to get married again. Disparity of cult means uh, a marriage between a Catholic and a non-baptized person is invalid unless you receive a dispensation from the church, from the local ordinary, which is usually the bishop or his representative. If somebody is in holy orders, like I, I have taken on uh, holy Orders, as a priest, I cannot validly contract marriage unless I am dispensed from my my vows as a priest. Somebody who's taken a perpetual vow of chastity must be dispensed from that in order for them to get married. Abduction is an obvious one. If somebody gets uh, abducted uh, in order to be married, there's no freedom there. Uh, crime. So one of the, both of the parties brought about the death of a spouse for the purpose of entering marriage. So I can't kill your spouse so I can marry you. Of course, that is an impediment. Consanguinity. Again, this was several classes in the seminary. This means that um, first cousins cannot marry. Anything beyond first cousins, uh, you, can, you can marry in the church. Um, affinity. So this is an example of this is a woman can't marry her stepfather or her mother's stepfather if there's an affinity through marriage uh, that is not allowed by the church. Um, Public propriety. So an example here, a man may not marry the daughter of his female partner born to her from a previous uh, relationship. So this is, you know, people who live together and there's children in the house, you know, that is forbidden as well. And then if you're related by adoption, uh, that's forbidden as well. So ultimately, it's this consent and freedom to marry uh, in in a valid way. So if consent is lacking in any of these ways or in any of these impediments, it's not a valid, valid marriage. And so that's why we have an annulment is not a church divorce. What an annulment does is it looks at that moment of consent. When the two people uh, were married in the church and they gave their consent to one another, was their freedom? Were they free to marry? And so that's what, and if the church determines that there was no valid consent, then they can uh, give an, uh, an annulity of marriage, which would allow that person to be free to marry. But if they determine that that couple was, were free to marry, then they would not be able to get married again in the church. I know this is painful because, you know, in my family, uh, divorce has, has been a part of many of my family members. And uh, like I say, it can seem impossible for us to live a life-long uh, marriage. Uh, but with God's grace, all is possible, and also with God's mercy. And so we never give up on ourselves, never give up on the church. And I want to speak to those who are divorced, sometimes... Uh, and I apologize if the church has made you feel like a second class citizen. Uh, what the Catechism says is for someone who's divorced, um, you can receive communion. You can be a full member of the church. It's only if you're divorced and remarry that you're asked not to receive communion. Um, but please come to mass. please listen to the Word of God, please pray and, uh, and maybe you know seek someone in the in the church to to help you. Look at your marriage situation. Um, we want you to know that, that you're always welcome here. Um, and I know Pope Francis has been trying to make this process a little bit more uh, available for people, while at the same time respecting the Lord's uh, words on on marriage and divorce. Uh, who can be witnesses for marriage? Bishop, priest, or deacon? But remember, the, the ministers are... The, the couple and marriage preparation is so important. The church usually says you need to ask the church six months prior to your wedding, because like I received five years of formation for my vocation to become a priest. And you know, marriage is on that same level of that lifelong vocation. And so we want to, we value marriage so much that we want you to be prepared for this sacrament. Sometimes we think, well, love will carry us through and it'll be easy. Uh, No, We we know that there are pitfalls. There's pitfalls in any vocation. There's challenges, and we need marriage preparation. The Catechism goes on to talk about mixed marriages, which is between a a baptized Catholic and a baptized non-Catholic, and a disparity of cult is between a a baptized Catholic and an unbaptized person. So if it's a mixed marriage between a a Catholic and a baptized non-Catholic, um, there's instruction for the non-Catholic party and the essentials of the Catholic faith. Um, instruction should also be given to the Catholic party regarding his or her partner's beliefs. So we try to, the, the church says, don't underestimate the struggles when you, you are of, of two different faiths. And so the Catholic party is encouraged to continue the practice of their faith. And they're also asked to promise to the best of their ability to baptize their children Catholic and to raise them in the Catholic Church. The non-Catholic party uh, is made aware of this uh, this promise that the Catholic party is making. Disparity of cult. Again, a baptized Catholic with an unbaptized person requires dispensation for validity. Uh, and so this is a, a Catholic party promises to the best of their ability to baptize the children uh, Catholic and raise them in the faith. And the hope that would... that we have is that the Catholic person lives a life uh, of joy that they attract the non-Catholic party to be baptized themselves. It's that joy that drew me into the Catholic Church. What are the effects of the sacrament? There's a bond that is perpetual and exclusive through the sacrament. Um, And that's why, you know, Jesus says, you know, the two shall become one flesh and no man must separate. The couple is also strengthened and consecrated for the duties of a lifelong marriage. Um, What are the graces that we receive in the sacrament of matrimony? Uh, It's meant to strengthen the couple's love uh, and for this forever commitment and unity. It's also to help you to grow in holiness, uh, this married life. And if God blesses you with children, to help your children get to heaven as well. I always say the two goals of marriage, help your spouse get to heaven, and if God blesses you with children, help your children get to heaven as well. So in Theology of the Body, they talk about four things with marriage. It's full, forever, faithful, and fruitful. So it's full, meaning because you're committed to one another forever, you give every part of your being physically, spiritually, emotionally to the other person. It is forever, this commitment that lasts forever, and I'm so inspired by couples who um, who make it through those difficult times. Stay committed to one another, and they say the marriage gets better once you get through those rocky times. It's faithful, so we are faithful to one another. Uh, we're going to be attracted to other people, but we we ask for the grace of self-control to focus our love on our spouse, and it's fruitful. The church believes that we should be open to life always. And that's why the church, Again, this is a, another topic that we'll probably cover next season or next couple of seasons, uh, why the church is against birth control because it's it's saying, I love you and I give you everything except my fertility. I know this is a controversial topic. I'm not going to go deep into it uh, now, but we will uh, in the coming season. So uh, I know this will probably take you down a, a rabbit hole of questions, but... Uh, Let's stay on track with, with, with marriage here. And I love this. It said the church should celebrate heroic witnesses of marriage. I think of a friend of mine who's, whose wife had uh, a stroke. Uh, she's been in a wheelchair for several years. He's become her full-time caregiver. And I'm sure when they got married, when he said, you know, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, they didn't expect this. But I so admire his love and dedication to his wife. Um, And he's such a shining example of how Christ loves us, even when we're not um, doing the best that we can, even then when we're not living the lives that we should. um, You know, we should celebrate that faithful love that is forever. Somebody makes it through a difficult time in their priesthood, you know, and they stay faithful to that commitment, even though it's tough. Let's celebrate that. And so maybe that's something that we can do as a church better to, to hold up uh, the beauty of couples making it through difficult times. Let's talk about divorce a little bit. We've talked about, you know, uh, and it says in Scripture, Jesus' words, so we have to be faithful to these words. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And that's why we, the church looks at that moment of consent Was this a valid marriage? This is something important, too. An annulment does not mean that your children are illegitimate. There was a legal marriage there. The children are legitimate. What the annulment is saying was that there wasn't a valid sacramental marriage there, and it allows the person to be able to marry again if the church determines that there was a lack of free consent. Again, a a divorced person can go to communion. A divorced person who's remarried without an annulment um, should not go to communion until they receive that annulment and they get their marriage uh, validly blessed in the church. We talked about openness to fertility. And then the, the catechism ends with the domestic church, how the holy family is our example, that the family is this the center of faith, uh, of education, that the parents are the first teachers of the faith to their children. And, uh, and I would encourage parents to Encourage your children to ask this question. Because we ask our kids, what do you want to do when they grow up? Catechism says the parents should help their children find their vocation. And so take them to prayer, adoration, and say, ask God, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And as parents, support whatever, whatever it is that God is raising up in their hearts, whether it be marriage, priesthood, consecrated life, or single life. Our Lectio Divina this week. Matthew 19, 4-6. It's what we've been reading about. The two shall become one flesh. What God has joined, no man must put asunder. Um, I know this can sound antiquated, but these are the words of Jesus. And so the church tries to balance, okay, these are the words of Jesus. We have to be faithful to this. We also have to look at the reality that, that you know, marriage is hard. It's under attack. The devil doesn't like healthy, happy, holy marriages, And so we as a church need to be there to support you through the good times and in the bad. And those who are separated, those who are divorced, we need to be there with you and for you on this journey. And so let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of our vocation. Thank you for the beauty of holy matrimony. Again, we ask you to bless all married couples, fill them with your life, your love, Bless those that, especially that are struggling. Give them the uh, the grace they need uh, to continue uh, and to flourish. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few announcements. Uh, sorry for the confusion, and we changed the date for our last um, a large group gathering. It's going to be December 15th. It's not December 5th. It's not December 9th. It's December 15th, which is a Thursday here at Saint Isaac's, we encourage you to bring appetizers. It'll be an end of the year Advent celebration of Be Formed. Next week, we'll talk about marriage and the Church Fathers, and then uh, next season. So next season is going to be about Book Three in the Catechism: Life in Christ, Freedom, and Morality. Because of what's happening in the world, uh, we need to have a foundation on virtue, on freedom and how we're created uh, to live and to flourish. And so I think there's going to be many relevant things uh, in in Season 6. Registration will be coming soon. We'll be getting you information for that. It'll run from January 10th through April 9th, Easter Sunday, 2023, on morality, freedom, virtue, life in Christ. God bless you, and to all of you and your family, Buen Camino.